Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who were just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Looking good, Adam. You told me you've been on the phone with insurance companies all day. Yeah. I I uh, do not envy you that. It's great. I love it. Are you setting up insurance? Or are you like trying to make a claim? Did your rate go up and you're complaining? My wife and I are thinking about moving. Oh. And there are a lot of moving parts to moving. I wonder if you'll have moved by the time this airs. That's a wild thought. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, wherever we move, I'm personally hoping that it is a place where there are just random pizzas on my port (laughs) that I can get. Yeah, I mean, that's been one of the key benefits of your current home. That and the, like, mystery pipe noises that wake you up at all hours of the night. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. (laughs) No one wants to hear that story. That's just for you. Is that going to come up on an inspection? Like, uh, like if you guys try and uh, put that place on the market, somebody's going to be like, yeah, we uh, had a home inspector come out and uh, he wrote down random noises at all hours. I had a great moment of homeowner success, Finn, and I told you about it yesterday, and I think the friends of DeSoto need to know that homeownership is not just about finding bat guano (laughs) and and having your office rained on. Mm -hmm. Like, if if you're a longtime viewer of The Greatest Generation, you might think it's nothing but problems. Mm. But I'm here to tell you there are some successes, and I had one yesterday. It's hard to focus on the on the upsides of things. I know. Because when you're a renter, it's largely not your problem. I mean, it's your problem to live with, but it's someone else's problem to fix. But as a homeowner, you got to fix these problems. And we had a mystery problem that had lasted for a month. And what was so <laughs> confounding is that it was a strange noise that didn't come on at the same time of day or night and didn't come on even on consecutive days. It was just completely random. (laughs) And this noise sounded like a bath fan. It sounded like someone's fucked up bath fan, they're taking a dump, and -hmm. it's waking me up. And I am used to being the dump waker. (laughs) I took great umbrage with this. And so I I sent an email to our HOA, our five-unit HOA, and I was like, hey, neighbors, What is the deal with this sound? It's me, Adam, the pizza thief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You might know me from uh, the pizza you thought you were having that one Saturday night. <laughs> so delicious. The thing that drives me nuts about people continuing to bust your chops about the pizza is you literally cleared it with your neighbors. Yep. <laughs> that was in the story. <laughs> I did all of the diligence necessary to eat that pizza guilt-free. You cleared it with the restaurant and the neighbors. Hey, I'm looking right at the camera right now. Mm. I don't feel bad about that. (laughs) I did everything I could. So mystery sound has been keeping us up and sometimes Mm. waking us up. That's that's the shitty part is like, oh, I can live with this sound that clicks on and stays on for like a half an hour. 
if it's during the daytime hours or even the late evening. But when it clicks on at like 3.30 in the morning, yeah. oh, it sucks. Yeah, that's, that's weak. Somebody's taking a nighttime dump is what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> so me and my old lady neighbor <laughs> were up late one night and I heard the sound and it's like almost midnight and I know she's awake because this noise irritates her as much as it does me. So I send her a text. Hey, old lady neighbor, <laughs> are you hearing it? Uh-huh. And she's like, don't call me that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already down in the garage. Come check it out. And so I roll down there and and we can hear it. And then we're joined by a third and a fourth neighbor down there. We're all awake. Wow. We're all awake. Was the fifth unit not sending somebody because they're like, ah, oh, it's, it's probably that pizza thief guy out there. The fifth unit has not been home for like a month. Oh, wow. And that sort of became our prime suspect. Like, did they leave some, did they leave a electric toothbrush on that that was like blurbing the randomly? Did they leave like a teaspoon in their garbage disposal and then their garbage disposal is on like a random timer to turn on? Did a sex toy fall into the sink and into the garbage disposal? <laughs> and is blurbing itself at random times? It seems as likely as anything else. So we're down on the carport. And this is killing us because it's not localized to any section of our place. It's just a generalized buzz. Yeah, yeah. Is the buzz like, it's a pipe buzz, right? Well, inside the house, it it sounded fan-like. But once we got underneath the place into the carports, Uh it sounded pipey. Because I feel like at one point you told me you like put your hand on on the faucet in your bathroom and it like... And it was vibrating. I mean, which points to the dildo in the garbage disposal theory (laughs) as the leading candidate, I thought. Right, right. The dildo in the garbage disposal theory was a (laughs) uh, a prog rock band I dabbled with in college. (laughs) (laughs) There was a a person holding a dildo on the grassy knoll. (laughs) So our drip irrigation system happened to be going at this moment. So we saunter out to the front of our complex uh, where pizzas are known to be found. The pizza power up is something that I would find there. But at this moment, I found a little puddle and I heard the rumble getting louder. And finally, I grabbed some pipes that were coming out of the sprinkler system and they were shaking. They were shaking violently. And when I grabbed them in my fist... (laughs) I was able to squeeze them tight enough to stop the shaking. And then the noise went away. Whoa. And that's when we knew. It had to do with the irrigation system. So my old lady neighbor goes down and rips the wires out of the wall. She <laughs> unplugs it. <laughs> I was I was hoping that your neighbors would raise you up on their shoulders, but it sounds like your old lady neighbor really is the is the hero here. She's the one that ripped the wires. <laughs> we were we were all so frustrated, and when she did that, it was like A great victory in that moment. (laughs) Finally, we had some peace, but the problem remained. So the next morning, the person who comes and gardens the garden. The gardener. We told him about our situation and he reprogrammed our irrigation system. We're supposed to be saving water around here. We're not supposed to be running the sprinklers. Right, right. All willy nilly the way they've been. Yeah. He got us on a great schedule. 
he ran the system and made a giant geyser out front, like a 40-foot geyser, the kind that you would see if a fire hydrant had been run over during a police chase. Like, right, right. enormous. <laughs> he, uh, he replaces a couple parts, and he's like, yeah, you had a bunch of about-to-break parts causing a, a pressure buildup, and the pressure was what caused the vibration. Isn't it always? And now things are flowing free and quiet and on schedule. Wow. And finally we have success, Ben. Is that is your colon just like damn plumbing finally figured out how to get on a schedule? Gah. Yeah. Yeah. I had colon envy. <laughs> yeah. So now it's been like uh three days of not being woken up by a mystery sound. It's great. Yeah. That's tremendous. Yeah. I, meanwhile, basically didn't sleep last night, but uh, I'm here for an episode, buddy. Did you get food poisoning again? What is happening? No, I got a shitty email that I like made the mistake of reading right at, at turning in time. No. Yeah. Yeah. I told my wife that I did that, and she was like, what a foolish thing you have done to yourself. It, is this a work email? Yeah. It was Does a this work. involve us? No. No. Are you lying to protect me? I promise it has nothing to do with you. All right. I sent somebody a PDF. They thought it was a different thing. I sent them an old PDF. They were really mad that I sent them something that they weren't expecting. <laughs> it was like a dumb email mistake that turned into a whole thing. It's fine. God damn it. <laughs> Boy, you really fucked up, Ben. In yeah, a very it. trivial way that yeah. I am sad uh, made you lose some sleep over. Yeah, yeah. It's all my fault. I didn't read the little string of numbers at the end of the PDF when I attached it to the electronic mail. You know, anymore, living a healthy mental life means maybe not reading anything before bed. Just nothing at all. I usually read a science fiction or a fantasy novel before bed. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. That one, that that just turns me right down, you know? That's that's where I need to be. On the Off edge. the edge. Where I gotta be. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to say that, and we still snapped simultaneously. Yeah, it's really remarkable. Adam, big episode today, part one of The Killing Game. It's season four, episode 18 of Star Trek Voyager. Do you want to get into it? Yeah, sure do, Ben. Let's get into part one. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Janeway has loaf. She's a warrior. She's fighting batleths with, with people. How long did it take you to realize it was her? Because it took me an embarrassing amount of time to realize it was her. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they put darker makeup on her. I guess that's a darker holographic makeup uh, in retrospect, yeah. right? She's in Klingon face. She's in Klingon face. Uh, she's fighting Klingons, but also Herogens. Could you tell if she had the teeth? She had the teeth, didn't she? Oh, you know, she's moving around so fast. I didn't actually notice uh, what, what was going on W slash R slash T, her grill. Yeah. But that would change her voice enough to be like, you know, not instantly recognizable. Yeah. I mean, that's like one of the major qualities of being a Klingon is talking like you've got four retainers in your mouth. Yeah. This Herogen in Klingon warrior armor bests her in battle 
but he's got a Starfleet communicator with him, and uh, he radios to Six Bay that Janeway requires medical assistance. What? Yeah, it's a confusing scene because it's Klingons, it's Janeway and Klingon Loaf, it's a Bane, yeah. and that Bane has this comm badge. What the hell is going on here? Where do you get that thing? Yeah. That's our cold open. That's how we go into theme song. I love any episode format that goes like you're just dropped in story race. In media Star Trek cave. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's good. And uh, when we come back, there are a bunch of Herogen ships like hanging out with the Voyager. It looks like they're traveling together. Mm-hmm. The Herogen have taken over. The angle of the Voyager in exterior looks like uh, a, a Bane ship has merged with it. Oh. You know? The way it's going by. Yeah. I found that confusing. I was generally confused for much of this episode. <laughs> well, they're not quite using tick-based starship technology, so right. I don't think that they merged with it. But in Six Bay, the body of the captain is getting scanned and, you know... The voices uh, over her are saying that she's uh, she's going to survive. They wave a little light over her neck, and it, it reveals a little like three prong gadget on her neck. This yeah. is her neural interface. It seems pretty important. And the way they describe it is that it has everything to do with why Janeway believes she was a Klingon yeah. in that holodeck program. Because she was really throwing herself into the role, wasn't she? The yeah, kind of a surprising interest for her. This is not her usual holodeck program choice. Yeah, she's usually kind of doing like big dress period pieces. Yeah. Not swinging batlets at warriors' heads. This is more of an, an armor ripper than a bodice ripper. It's <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if they gave any consideration to putting the neural interface on like the middle of the forehead or something. <laughs> like head on? yeah. Neck just seems like not where your your neuro is, you know. I mean, I guess the back of the neck, where where a nubbin would would stick its butt out. But when it comes to uh, neurotransmitters, I subscribe to the Trina rule, which is uh, put it on my neck, my back, uh, my <laughs> pussy, or my crack. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that we're well known for following the Trina rule in all things yeah. on this show. <laughs> so, <laughs> in this house, we subscribe to the Trina rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, a yard sign that you can probably buy at podshop.biz this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta get that store going again. <laughs> In this house, we believe in my neck. <laughs> my back is welcome here. <laughs> my pussy means love. <laughs> we do science on my crack. <laughs> so the two uh, Banes that are talking here are like, yeah, like, it's, I mean, like, we're, we're worried the neural interface isn't working exactly the way it's supposed to. But uh, the other one is like, no, 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 no. This thing is working great. Uh, she's going to believe whatever we program her to believe she is. Sure seems like there are different, like all of the different Banes, sure do act different culturally. Because these seem very distinct from the giant Banes of the first meeting 
of the culture. Right, right. Yeah, I wonder if these Banes have like the like Napoleon syndrome of Banes. Yeah, I mean, the more we learn about the Banes throughout this episode and the next, the more clear it is that this is sort of a Bane diaspora, right? Yeah, they they're spread out all over the place, and yeah. uh, Nary the Bane shall meet. Yeah. <laughs> we cut to Seven of Nine in uh, a sequin dress. She's singing, and that isn't the weirdest part to me. The weirdest part is she's singing great. Jerry Ryan is a great singer. She really is. What's also weird to me is that the holodeck did go to the trouble of making Janeway look like a Klingon in that other simulation. But in this simulation, everybody gets to keep their OG loaf. Yeah, that felt unusual to me too. I mean, if you're Jerry Ryan and you see what's happening in the story, you got to be thinking that maybe this is uh, a week's worth of shooting where you're not going to wear the eye dolphin. But yeah, be nice. It's a sequin dress and the eye dolphin. Right. It's both and, not either or for Jerry Ryan at all. We start to pan around this club. Tuvok is tending bar. There's a bunch of uh, Nazi officers hanging around. And we get Katrine, the proprietress, who is wearing like a tailcoat, and uh, you know she's really dressed to the nines as the uh, as the classy dame that runs this French uh, bar and restaurant that uh, that Nazis hang out with. It's called the Cœur de Lion. And what mean? <laughs> Heart of the Lion, Adam. Heart of the Lion. Cool. Yeah, she takes particular interest when a couple of Iron Cross wearing SS. Banes come in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's distracted from... I mean, she's doing great hospitality as she sort of floats around the club. Mm -hmm. She's great at this. She is. And uh, it becomes clear as these guys come in that she and Tuvok are kind of uh, speaking sotto voce about some La Resistance type shit that they're up to. And uh, these Banes are the uh, subject of uh, an operation they're working on. They're sort of discussing the Banes in terms of their resume. This is a nice scene to just sort of catch us up to what's happening with them. And when Seven finishes their song, there's kind of a beta Bane that uh, gets his nut smashed for not being good at playing whatever game this is that we're seeing. Sit down and play the game. Right. Throwing yourself into the role is something that the Starfleets are all doing unwillingly, but the Banes under the leadership of Alpha Bane uh, are supposed to be playing along with the milieu, and this Beta Bane doesn't uh, doesn't do that perfectly initially. Kyra is the Alpha in this scene, and he wants to talk to Janeway alone. I'm just going to call her Janeway. There are too many names (laughs) and alter egos here. For for the sake of clarity, I'm going to call her Janeway, and together they talk about the particulars of the resistance and the complications of being in the world that they're in. And Carr is kind of seductive in the way that he talks to her. Like he's got charisma in a way that is interesting, but it's kind of hard to figure out how much of the character is Janeway bleeding through Katrina. And how much is just all Katrina as a character, right? Because she's yeah. she's a really practiced negotiator, but Janeway is too. Right. And it's also hard to know what Alpha Bane knows. Like, Kara's his character in this story. Mm-hmm. 
does he know, like he he must know that she and her crewmates are playing the resistance in this but does the character that he's playing know that is he a christoph waltz at the beginning of inglorious bastards kind of officer where he's pretending not to know things that he actually does know or is he playing a guy that doesn't know it so he's acting like he doesn't know it i think Carr has thrown himself into the performance i think he's loving this i think he's acting as if yeah. He's yeah. playing the game utterly. Really showing showing that beta who's the alpha. Right. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. Tarange is the name of the beta. And uh, I looked it up, Ben. Nothing rhymes with Tarange. Nothing? No. Wow. That's amazing. There's a problem in engineering that needs their attention. And so they leave to take care of that. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense to Katrine, who does not understand what they're talking about. So we cut to like later in the night where Seven and Tuvok and the captain are are hanging out. And the captain is very interested in getting a better oscillator for their radio so that they can receive code from the allies so that they can, uh, you know, advance their cause in the razy stance. But Seven is a little bit more interested in upgrading their firepower. She wants to get rockets. Explosives. We need a launcher that can fire armor-piercing grenades. This turns into a little bit of a debate. We learn that Seven is their munitions expert. You know, every lounge singer, secretly an explosives fiend. Yeah. I mean, we could have known that earlier from the cannons, Ben. <laughs> But also there's some suspicion on the part of Tuvok that she may be an infiltrator. There's some discussion that she might be like advocating for things aside from what Katrine wants for nefarious reasons. They're so casual about the idea of, well, if she continues being suspicious, we'll just have to kill her, right? And they both agree like, yeah, I mean, we can always kill her. Yeah. For now, let's keep her around. It's really kind of unnerving every time they talk about something like that in this episode because you know that the safeties are off and that when people get hurt they go to six bay so if the if they cap someone if they shoot someone in the head because they believe that they are in france in the mid 40s and this person is working with the germans mm-hmm. it's like it, it's like the cruelest way to die like just like because everybody around you believed a a fake story I mean, I, I thought a lot about who would be a prime candidate for that sort of death. And conveniently, we cut to Neelix riding <laughs> a bike full of baguettes and wine through town. And I'm like, surely this is the moment. Where <laughs> a cruel, brutal killing ha- happens. Yeah, where, where like a spitfire crashes into him <laughs> in the town square. <laughs> I love a uh, a French town square where the camera swings past a hillside in Los Angeles <laughs> in between the buildings every so often. How about this camera move, by the way? It's really cool. The following of him through town seemed very sophisticated. Yeah, it's really nice. Uh, he gets stopped by a couple of SS officers. One of them is Beta Bane. The mm-hmm. other is a human German officer. And they're harassing him. They, like, break his his baguette in half, they pour out his wine. They know he's up to something. They don't trust him. Yeah. At least they get, let him keep the bottle. Getting his shit tossed. It sucks. Do you have to break the baguette? Do you have to do that? 
Well, who's hiding shit in a baguette? I mean, maybe somebody that's like on the keto diet, you know? Oh, this baguette's all for show. I mean, famously, Pee Wee hid a nail file in a foot long hot dog, right? Right. So, you know, there's lots of different things that you could potentially. I mean, a baguette's even bigger than a hot dog. Imagine the size of the nail file you could stick in a baguette. <laughs> Look at that thing. <laughs> what kind of nails does that thing even file? You sneak in a Vienna sausage, miniature, a <laughs> foot long hot dog, regular size, and a baguette. <laughs> 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 yeah, so uh, Neelix is permitted to leave, and in a cafe somewhere else, we see that BLT is also here. Yeah, also in Loaf. Yeah, Neelix arrives, and uh, boy, turns out, kind of a close call when he got his shit looked at, because the label to the wine that he brought has a key that they use to decode a radio message that they're listening in on, on the British radio network. Mm-hmm. Every uh, 45 seconds, a broadcast of what sounds like innocuous weather reports uh, apparently is giving them stuff that they need to decode this message. And it's a a message from Allied Command about troop movements that will impact St. Clair, the town that they are in. Right. And there is a invitation to help by disabling Nazi communications. Right. So that they can't call for help when the Americans show up. But this is a really kind of impossibly dangerous mission if they chose to take it on. Yeah. I I mean, who could you send to do an impossible mission, but some kind of impossible mission force? Right. Maybe I can help. A pregnant force. (laughs) Like BLT. I need to see my special friend, even if it means bothering him at the office. They wrote Roxanne Dawson's pregnancy into this one. It's great. It's great. I mean, what isn't so great is she's mothering a child made with a Nazi officer. And that's the plan, right? You can't go in and disable these Nazi communications without a way inside HQ. And BLT provides that way. Yeah. Talk about throwing yourself into the role. My goodness. Yeah. So she is going to go get her way into the command center that the Nazis have set up here in town. She's on her way there. A, uh, a French woman spits at her feet in the road because the, the, the locals don't like that she's uh, been bedding down with one of the Nazis. And uh, she, she fakes like a contraction or something. And uh, everybody's like, oh, God, we got to get her inside. And they run her in. And it's the human SS officer dude that she is in a relationship with. The Nazis famously concerned about the pain of others. <laughs> so they... They see her outside and bring her in immediately. Yeah. This dude is talking to the Alpha Bane about uh, what what he loves about being in the German military in the 40s. Our fellow officers might prefer gold or land, but for me, the greatest prize of war is art. Yeah. We hear all about uh, his master race theory. Yeah. There's an argument about the fairness of this fight. Yeah. Around and around they go. It gets pretty heated. The colonel... Bane Alpha guy really starts to, I mean, like, despite some of the appeals of, uh, of fascism to a Herogen, starts to poke some holes in the honorability of the plot that the Nazis were prosecuting in the 40s. Right. I mean, it's weird, right? Because he's a Bane, I think his emphasis is more on, like, the complacency that one might feel right. in a wartime like this, you know? Because he's all about, like, the hunting code. 
as all bands are. He loves that hunting code. He doesn't feel like the Germans like swept into France in a way that was super honorable. Uh, he's looking forward to a, a fairer fight, a more interesting, you know, even-toed fight. But uh, they don't get to get all the way into this because BLT comes in looking for her baby daddy and the Bane has to go. I love how BLT's baby daddy, who does not have a name in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's so excited that she's there that he immediately defaults to person who just brags about the shit in his office. Like, <laughs> like he kind of turns into Dirk from Boogie Nights showing off his new house. Like, <laughs> and here's a beanbag chair. There are only three like this in all of Europe. Yeah, yeah. And look at these leopard print curtains. There's a very funny camera movement while they're like looking around at all the stuff in his office where she looks over into a corner and a guy that we haven't seen yet is like on headphones listening to a German radio. <laughs> I know a little German. He's sitting over there. It was so funny the way that that's shot because it looks like he's just another decoration in the office like anything else. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got one of those too, I see. Very interesting. Cool. <laughs> so many wonderful things. You just throw a sheet over him when you're done? <laughs> he's like the Saul Rubinek character in The Most Toys. <laughs> and he's got one yeah. German radio officer. It's great. <laughs> These are very rare. I have the only one in the quadrant. I know you don't want to do it. Do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Outside, Taranj and a random continue to bitch about all the not hunting that they're doing. Yeah. When they spot Neelix. And just decide to start licking shots, right? Yeah. This guy seems worth hunting. No one cares about him. I mean, it's very funny after hearing about the like fair fight ethos uh -huh. from the main guy that they're like, hey, there's a putz on a bike. Let's start shooting him. Taranj is not down with the cause. No. It's pointless. We should begin the hunt. He's pretty disaffected with the whole plan here. And when they start shooting at Neelix, Neelix wants to get his wine bottle but, uh, you know, he has no cover uh, until Seven starts firing back and the two of them go running through the streets and she tells him, like, forget about that wine bottle. That wine bottle is, is fucking gone, man. Yeah. They retreat into the safety of an alley, which is not safe at all because it's a dead end. Yeah. And uh, they get shot in the back. RSVP Seven and Neelix. Yeah. Not really, because this is a catch-and-release situation, Ben. Yeah, the Banes are being really careful not to murder anyone because uh, they just patch them back up in the six bay and, uh, and, and put them right back into the game. Yeah, we watched this happen. Doc and a Bane nurse are in there, and they're not getting along well at all, are they? <laughs> no, I mean, uh, the Doc merely adopted being a medical professional. The Bane nurse was born there. Uh-huh. The doc is is really annoyed. He does not like that they just keep hurting his crewmates and then sending them down here to get patched up. They've been stabbed, shot, beaten, phasered, and batlifted over the past three weeks. Their bodies weren't designed for this kind of punishment. I always love a bit about how easy it is to solve a, a medical problem in Star Trek. Like, uh, oh yeah, like she's broken several bones and she's got a punctured lung. This is going to take an hour to fix. Right, right. <laughs> I love hearing about an arrangement that was made off screen. In this scene, the doc tells Carr that this isn't part of what they negotiated earlier. There was a real grade school style 
no hits to the face rule yeah. that they thought was going to be law. But serious head injuries were off limits. And look at all of these head injuries, says the dog as he gestures around. Well, Beta Ben is shitty at shooting projectile weapons. He, he grew up with energy weapons. He's just not used to it. Yeah, not used to the kick. The holodeck safeties are off. That's another thing we learn here. Yeah. And the doc is really the only person on the crew keeping the Voyager crew alive. This is why they split the duties in the six bay, right? You got the, the Bane guy working on Banes, and you got the doc working on Voyagers. And up in the bridge, Harry Kim is working on keeping the ship more or less running. And it looks like he has had a particularly rough go of it. If you're Kim, do you feel bad about being left out of the holodeck thing? Oh, like a survivor's guilt thing? Like they're all really like suffering in the holodeck and I'm I'm out here sitting pretty? I mean, either that or like he's not viewed as important or threatening enough to hunt for sport. Like <laughs> they sized him up and they were like, nah, this guy can be like the janitor <laughs> or the AV tech guy. Like... <laughs> He's not worth hunting is kind of a hurtful feeling. Yeah. I mean, I guess you need an operations person that knows the ship. So they got to keep at least one person like that. But yeah, you would want to be like, yeah, this guy's tough as fuck. We got to put a chip on his neck, trick him into fighting us. I thought for a second holodeck FOMO would be homo, but it's not. It's FOMOHO. (laughs) (laughs) FOMOHO. I Uh like it. Yeah, so he's been used to expand the holodeck tremendously. He's He's been working on installing hollow emitters all over the ship, and this is a process that is eating up more and more power, and Alpha Bane is like, yeah, yeah, we'll get you all the power you need. Like, just keep making bigger and bigger holodecks. Like, every, like the whole ship I want to basically be a holodeck by the time you're done. <laughs> holodeck is the ship lap of Voyager. <laughs> It's, it's they're putting it everywhere. Yeah. Replicate enough emitters for the task. Uh, <laughs> we cut to Kim doing some of this work, and he's working with a guy named Ashmore. And I've never been so sure that this guy was pre-dead. <laughs> In my life, I bet so much latinum on this. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I mean, he looks sweaty and scared in a way that a pre-dead often looks. God. Yeah. I guess Harry is a little bit sweaty, too. Mm-hmm. I was thinking it was like a little bit cruel that they didn't give him the little moisture-dabbing pads to make him look less shiny on camera, but I think that's what they were going for. I mean, Chekhov's Ashmore lives for the next three minutes on screen, and I was riveted by him because he sent away to go like get some more tools, and I was like, okay. Here it comes. We're going to see that dude's skull in no time. Yeah. That skull's going to be in some guy's fishing net. Right. In a ready room on this ship. So he rounds the corner and goes and gets some parts, and that leaves Kim alone for uh, a conversation with the doc. Yeah, it turns out there's going to be more than one Razy Stance in this episode. There's the Razy Stance in the simulation, and there's the Razy Stance that Kim and the doctor are putting together out in reality. They're going to sort of run in parallel. There's coffee in the resistance. The plan is for the doc to help disable those neural emitters. But before he can finish describing the plan, the bane in the back brings Ashmore back onto the scene. And I was like, what is this guy still doing here? I thought he'd be dead by now. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a real business in the front, Bane in the back situation. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Ashmore is not dead. Uh, I guess Kim has to just transfer the docs program around the corner so they can finish their conversation. This scene is all about building tension, but like it is silly. It's silly and easy. <laughs> Up in the ready room, Alpha Bane talks to Beta Bane about. I mean, he's he's already got big plans for this. He's he's looking for the next simulation. And the next simulation he wants to do is Wolf 359. He wants to set that up on the ship. Sounds pretty fun. That Rojan fighting the Borgs. Also, I've got plenty of netting here that I think would look pretty good with some of Ashmore's bones. <laughs> yeah, there are some empty nets hanging yeah. around the captain's office now, which is pretty fun. Yeah, It seems like the Rojan are not aware of the Borgs, which is uh, kind of surprising. Yeah, I mean, uh, Carr is kind of an empty netter which mm. makes him sad and alone seeming most of the time. Yeah, you know, he walks into a net and, you know, he forgets why he walked in there in the first place and he just kind of like looks around and the lack of bones or other trophies kind of overtakes him and he just kind of breaks into a sob. Maybe he could just turn that empty net into a guest bedroom or a hobby space. <laughs> That's what my own Banes did. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> when I moved out I will use this room to store my tennis rackets <laughs> all of these books we didn't have room for them before but now so many bookcases and our guests will be impressed at how literary we are VHS cassettes will come back into fashion <laughs> <laughs> Alpha Bane kind of starts to uh, explain what he's up to in this scene. And he's talking to Beta Bane about how he has sort of foreseen a situation where the Herogen have gotten to a point where they're spread too thin. They are so obsessed with hunting that they're actually not adapting to the changing galaxy that they're in. And he kind of describes Herogen hunting as being their technique for space exploration. They go hunt different shit and learn things about the shit that they're hunting and by extension themselves. But they're supposed to adapt eventually based on those things that they've learned. And he's like, we're, we're stuck in the mud, man. We're, all we do is hunt. We never learn. We fucked up the second part of that whole thing. Carr gives Taranj a copy of... You're changing galaxy, <laughs> which is mostly a picture book that that shows like moons with pubic hair on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Drown uh, just like, <laughs> oh my god, I don't want to change. <laughs> I'm not into this at all. <laughs> I am too young to be looking at this. I am not comfortable showering with a nebula. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that platinum. Fortnite is just drunk gold. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. 
With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that platinum. Get that robe enlargement. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Now. Are you planning a heist? Gold. Kind of interesting that uh, Alpha Bay sort of thinks of himself as like a visionary who yeah. wants to push the Herogen toward a more enlightened future. And uh, he kind of, both in voice and in like not having the total buy-in of his crew, really reminded me of uh, 
the Kurtwood Smith character from Year of Hell. Right. He's sort of unflappable and has this like grand plan. It's not like a it's not the tragic plan of the Kurtwood Smith character, but in the same way of the lackeys on that ship not really believing <laughs> in what he's doing. Yeah. Uh this guy has a bunch of subordinates that are like, uh yeah, I think I just kind of want to hunt and kill shit. And uh, this whole like goofing around in the holodeck thing doesn't hold a lot of appeal to me. I got some real Gull Madrid vibes from Carr starting here and throughout the rest of the episode. Like, interesting. This is someone that we should hate, but when he constructs a logical architecture around his insane worldview, like, This is an episode that wants you to respect him and in some ways, like not want him to die or were he to die, feel bad about that moment, you know? Right. Like this was like the moderating influence in the Herogen and we would uh, be fools not to encourage him to. And I'm not saying that like I felt good feelings about Gal Madrid at all. What I'm doing is like I'm drawing a comparison between like quality of bad guy. Right. And like a thinking bad guy in a in a fucked up way, right? He's a real galaxy brain bad guy. Yeah. And uh, when this conversation is over, we're back down in Six Bay where Seven is waking up on the bio bed and she has no memory of what's going on in the holodeck. She is totally under the control of this little chip on her neck. And the doctor is is whispering to her about, hey, like you've got an implant that can overload this thing. So I'm going to send you back in there like because we have no choice, but you're going to wake up inside the simulation. I don't think we've seen a depiction yet of a character so far inside another character's nook Dude. as the doctor is inside of Seven of Nine's nook. He's deep in the nook. Yeah. He's so deep in the nook, he may never be able to come back up for air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've talked about it before. There's there's real life close and then there's camera close, but this seems close even for camera close. Yeah, this is like feel the other person's body heat. Yeah. <laughs> On your skin close. (laughs) And, uh, you know, given the doctor's uh, admission that he's the person that chose what Seven's, you know, attire was going to be like, makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. The fighting has been going on for 19 days. It's been almost three weeks since the uh, Banes took over the ship. And uh, he describes that, like, they've been trying every different war. Like, she was in the Crusades for... For some of it, the Banes are really, really enjoying all of the different conflicts that they can boot up in the holodeck and try out with the people. And um, it's risky what he's asking her to do because she's going to reboot in a simulation that she doesn't remember. So she's going to have to kind of act as if in some way. The one program they haven't booted up is the resort program and the (laughs) conflict over who's going to pick up the check for all the blender beverages. Yeah. No survivors of that one, my friend. I don't think that the Banes could win in a fight against Side Schlong guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to need a bigger energy weapon to take that thing on. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got a BFG. He really does. Um, well, I don't know, I guess so. So the doc sends Seven back in via sedation. And uh, we come back, she's singing in the lounge in the Cœur de Lyon. And then she shorts out and like seven of nine 
not the character in the story is suddenly there. And she doesn't know what the song was. She doesn't know any of these words. She doesn't know how to sing. I love the sound effect they used for the implant sizzling. (laughs) It's big fun. Yeah, you hate to hear an implant fail mid-song like that. It's uh, so frustrating for the audience. I must discontinue this activity. You can't quit mid-karaoke song, Ben. No. You gotta see it all the way through. If you're gonna step to the stage at a karaoke club, you've gotta get it, player. If you are singing Don't Stop Believing, you need to not stop believing in your ability (laughs) to sing that song. Uh... So she she gets off the stage and Katrina does not like this. This is uh, this is ruining the night. Look, I don't care if you're dying. Get back out there. Do you think Katrina is Klingon Trina? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Me too. My ridge. My <laughs> ridge. My loaf. My teeth. My boob window. My queef. <laughs> I think we're all feeling the strain. She's playing these Nazis for information. She wants to figure out where, you know, how they're going to knock out comms for the impending invasion by the Allies. And uh, she can't do that if the uh, evening's entertainment isn't up there distracting them. Yeah. So uh, this is just making her and Tuvok suspect Seven more and more of being maybe in league with the Nazis, actually. Yeah, this is the worst possible time for that kind of thing. Yeah, it's not good. It really makes you feel as though Seven's life is in danger. This is really great setup. I really agree. And uh, we cut away to a tent where Chakotay and Paris are playing American soldiers who are planning the invasion of St. Clair. I love how much time passes before we see these characters. Yeah. I was delighted to see them. Yeah, and they're uh, they're a captain and a lieutenant. <laughs> Sounds great. Am I making any sense here? Getting the, the battle plan together. Paris, ironically, has spent some time in France as a younger man. <laughs> he knows St. Clair. He's got a gal back there. He's looking forward to seeing her. Yeah, and the way that he describes her, sounds like she's got some great big loaf. Mm. <laughs> sounds like your kind of girl. Loaf for days. So... You know, they've heard tell that there's going to be some assistance from the local resistance. And uh, that's uh, some great news. But uh, a lot is left to uncertainty. They don't know how good this resistance is. The tension throughout the rest of this episode seems to be coming from Seven, who is like trying to act as if she is her character. Yeah. And that's hard in this scene that follows because like, They're going over the plan to destroy the communications transmitter. They've changed into chain of command outfits. Yeah, yeah. And Seven of Nine is in one of them. Like, they haven't completely lost faith in her. The black sweaters of this episode are awesome. And I feel like eight of them hit the Star Trek auction decades ago. And I really feel bad about missing out on those. (laughs) It's the only way to really feel warm, Adam. But she's like conspicuously quiet and present in this meeting, like just sort of trying not to be noticed. <laughs> yeah, she's taking notes. Yeah. They're like, why are you writing this down? Don't write this down. Why are you looking at those grenades and also <laughs> forgetting to put detonators in explosives? Janeway is not thrilled with her sloppiness and she makes eyes with Tuvok and Tuvok's like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
There's a sound effect for Tuvok's look. It's suspicious eyes to commercial. And when we cut back, yeah. Harry Kim is working in the mess hall and brings the dock in so that they can continue to collude. And now they have somebody inside the simulation in Seven of Nine, but they, you know, this is one person and it's not, uh, not enough to completely put their plan into action. And the hunters are kind of on to Harry. Like a couple of Banes come in and are like, what the fuck are you doing? In here, and he's like, uh, I'm like getting the replicators working so that everybody can eat delicious food while they're getting ready for their hunts. It's pretty surprising to me how lippy Kim is to them, but then I remembered how much they need Kim to keep the holodecks running on time, you know? Right, and that's kind of what they're famous for, right? Yeah, <laughs> Bane's got the holodecks running on time. <laughs> He kind of explains away what he's doing there by saying like, oh yeah, there was a, a communications thing. I, I was busy with other stuff. You know, shit's so fucked up around here because of you guys. Like yeah. who knows what wires connect to what anymore. And they're like, show me the evidence of that, yeah. Harry Kim. And he's like, well, I wouldn't want to be late to the bridge. Why don't we call your boss and see what he thinks? Yeah, yeah. And this is the best thing he could have said because- Taranj has to stand down because he is still the beta to Kars Alpha. So they send Harry back up to the bridge and uh, he gets away with it for this time. But it seems like a lot is riding on Harry Kim's ability to like get like the, the systems shut down mm-hmm. when because Seven has to like disable something in the holodeck. Yeah, we really cut around a lot from here to the end of the episode. We do. The set is so big, this uh, fake French town that they shot on. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they built it for a movie or something. I didn't look this up. It just, it looks like a backlot to me, like a standing set. Do they like, does Hollywood have enough like French village stories getting shot every year to like warrant there being a permanent backlot set of French village? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I take your word for it. I had no problem with this. Okay. This is great. This is the dream of Hollywood. I don't have a problem with it either. I, I, I just thought it was remarkable. This is the dream of television production in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, well, the uh, captain and Seven sneak into the Nazi command center while Tuvok and his submachine gun wait outside for them, and they bonk the German radio operator on the back of the head. And uh, the captain's like really interested in what he's decoding, what he's got there next to him. Seven starts like pulling books out of a bookcase, and there's Star Trek technology behind it, and she starts swapping isolinear chips and stuff. The captain's like, what are you doing? Clearly, you're in league with the Germans. You're not helping me with this radio. What is that over there? Her excuse... uh... Is a little flimsy in this scene. You're sending a message to the Nazis. No. Step away or I'll kill you. I think Tuvok would have just shot her on sight. I agree. They're having this dispute while Morse code is coming in. And I really liked how that Morse code sound effect crossfaded with the beep, beep, beeps on the bridge when Harry Kim realizes that he now has access to the holodeck from a bridge station. This computer screen has no chill. Yeah. The letters are gigantic when it says shit is going down on Holodeck 1. Yeah, the computer's like, 
<coughs> wow, it'd be a shame if something happened to the simulation on Holodeck 1. And Harry's like, shh, it's name. If I'm Harry Kim, I would want those screen protectors on all of my monitors that, that make it so that you can only see what's being said head on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like in a car rental or whatever. Yeah. And you're like, crane your neck around to look at it and they're like sorry please sir this is not good his spot is blown if anyone looks over his shoulder if anyone got in kim's nook oh this plan is finished yeah but the banes don't really seem like nook people no no you're right in six bay the doc gets a similarly giant message on his screen yeah he's trying to shut off the neural transmitter for the captain and uh, he gets it done just in time like she is putting pressure on the trigger about to shoot seven when her transmitter goes off and suddenly it's the captain and not Katrina and yeah she's aware and then we cut away right and we're in Star Trek caves with Kenelix and Tabane. <laughs> What's amazing about how Kenelix looks is that this is loaf on loaf. Like for yeah. Ethan Phillips, he had to put on his Neelix loaf. And then on top of that, he had to put on his Klingon loaf. It's a loaf on loaf crime. Let's be honest. <laughs> He's got the worst of it makeup wise these next two episodes, right? He really does. The cutaway is so brief. It's so like, yeah. So Neelix is also around and he's a Klingon in this. And then we just cut back to yeah. Six Babe where uh, one of the Banes has like a gun to the EMH's head, which... He's like, do you guys not understand what the EMH is? It seemed like you understood what he was. Do you even need Neelix in this episode? I might save him for the second one. I feel like they're probably just like, well, we got to pay him. Yeah. You know, his name's in the credits. I guess we so. might as well throw that poor sucker in loaf. Yeah. Get him in for one moment. I guess so. Look, I'm, I'm pro paying of actors. Yeah. So if that's the reason, then I'm all in. So... The Banes realize something is wrong. They realize that the captain's neural transmitter has been disabled, and they send armed Banes into the holodeck to solve this. And And they are not in uh, in Nazi garb. They're just wearing their blue Bane clothes. Mm -hmm. And uh, this turns into a street fight where Tuvok is submachine gunning them, and they're firing back with their huge energy rifles. And then uh, the Americans come in. And uh, offer some uh, some backup to Mr. Tuvok. This is great. This is a great scene. This is what you want. Yeah. The cavalry to ride to your rescue. Yeah. The captain and Seven are trying to, you know, get the get more access up to Harry on the bridge so that more people can be woken up from their weird slumber when uh, Chicote starts calling in artillery strikes and uh, makes a joke that, uh, you know, the artillery... Guy is not wildly accurate, traditionally speaking. So uh, you may want to duck. I mean, close enough is is what the result is. I mean, the tragedy is all that art uh, that's just blown to bits, right? Oh, yeah. The, the cultural legacy of Europe destroyed in this one moment. The paintings, the sculptures, the radio man in the corner. Yeah. All destroyed. I love the uh, the miniature that they blow up. This is like a <laughs> Independence Day level building blow up, man. It is really fun movie magic here. It's great. Yeah. Lieutenant Paris makes contact with Brigitte, the BLT character. Yeah. Kind of awkward. Yeah. 
given what she's packing. <laughs> we just saw a movie together. How, how, how did how did that happen? I didn't know you could get pregnant from touching a dick that's poked through the bottom of a popcorn bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Up on the bridge, we get a a banger and. Harry reports that this is the explosion in Holodeck 1. And down in the Holodeck, the uh, soldiers look over the ridge at where that Nazi headquarters was. And we see like four or five floors of Voyager decks exposed with the wall of the Holodeck blown out. It looks really cool. It's a fucking great special effect. You so rarely are confronted with a ship in its verticality, deck by deck like this, outside of a schematic. Like, you see the schematic and you know there's a bunch of floors stacked on top of each other, but to, like, see them practically like this is big fun. It's really, really cool. And the uh, button on the episode is Harry Kim explaining to Alpha Bane, like, now we are not in control of what's going on with the hollow emitters and the war is spreading throughout the ship. Like <laughs> Kim low-key gets some great dialogue here Yeah, when he's explaining the situation to Carr. You wanted a war? Looks like you've got one. I feel like the last time on for the next episode really needs to draw heavily on this stuff from Kim yeah. right here because yeah. it's, it's so movie trailer dialogue. It's very cool. It is very cool, Adam. But did you like this episode. You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. I was really surprised by so many aspects of it. The scope of production was enormous and felt enormous. Yeah. It didn't feel like they spared many expenses here, like the costuming and the destruction shown on the ship and on these exterior sets, looked lived in and realistic in a really fun way. The war movie camera angles. Ben, you and I uh, are enthusiasts for the war movie genre, and like there was something so familiar about like the up high top down shots on like the town square, or like the tracking shot with Neelix on his motorcycle, the long lens spy stuff. This is a visual language to a war film that they totally used here in this episode, and it made it feel authentic in a really fun and satisfying way. I really enjoyed it a lot. They did a great job. This is a great Star Trek is a Place episode, Mm -hmm. and it's so adventurous in how it chooses to unfold its story. It's not a traditional, we ran into these aliens, it didn't go great, this is what started to happen. It's like, like so much has happened already by the time we get into this story, and... It's really a story about them getting out of a scrape. Right. I definitely confused this in my memory of Voyager with Year of Hell uh, because of that, because of the like two episode arc where the ship is getting like deeply, deeply fucked up Yeah. elements to it. And I do feel like they have a lot of DNA in common, but they're, they're telling such radically different stories that uh, it's interesting that they're in the same season, but I feel like they do really different things with, you know, a lot of similar building blocks at their core. So uh, I thought this was a really fun episode too. One thing I wanted to note before we move on is that if you were to tell me that we were going to stick aliens covered in loaf inside Nazi uniforms (laughs) and that wasn't going to read as silly, I might not have believed you. 
Right. But I was very surprised in myself how I felt seeing these aliens in Nazi uniforms. And I think it's because I don't see humanity in those uniforms to begin with. There's like a weird sort of mental algebra happening when I see them. Right. That's like, well, a human being does not wear that uniform. Therefore, <laughs> it's just as plausible to see a Bane wearing one. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. And Star Trek often will, uh, you know, go out of its way to condemn Nazism. But like putting the comparison in a, in like an alien that is like sort of morally bankrupt already and then showing that the Nazis are worse than those guys. I mean, that's another way to make the Banes not seem so bad in a fucked up way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least these Banes, you know? Right, yeah. The Banes are very loosely associated group of people, you know? Not all Banes. Hashtag not all Banes. Yeah. Not all Banes are bastards. (laughs) You don't have to punch every Bane you see. (laughs) Do it with Nazis, obviously, just not every Bane. Ben, we do have to read every Priority One message. You want to get over there and get that process started? I would love nothing less, Adam. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first... And second, it's one big grouped up promotional Priority One message. There's two of them in this one episode. And it's from Here's to the Finest Two in Starfleet. And it's from Kate and Steve, your favorite fans ever. Uh, And it goes like this. I'd like to tell a story about two embarrassed men. One's my favorite co-host, Adam, and the other's name is Ben. With a friendship built on TNG and love of making fun, they created two great podcasts, which are both our number one. We love to watch the episodes they then recount with care. Ben talks us through the storyline, and Adam's also there. (laughs) With a miriam of inside gags and drops to bring a smile, they take us on a trek and make us happy for a while. Their really bad impressions always make us laugh out loud from a quite forgetful Klingon to a genocidal doubt. They bring with them an expertise they learned in their careers and add the dick and fart jokes for their junior high school peers. (laughs) Their humor is respectful in so many different ways. Their talk of mental health is so important nowadays. So we love you, Ben and Adam. More than Stamets loves his spores. More than Riker loves consent, and more than Worf loves open doors. So no matter what Big Rod may bring, whatever reboot happens, the two of you will always be our favorite Star Trek captains. Wow. Wow. (laughs) That was a well-written poem. It was a well-written poem. I hope I did it justice in the reading. The call to action is just, here's to the finest two in Starfleet. What a sweet thing. That's amazing. That's like the most expensive poem in history. You know, like the vanity publishing, like your poem has been selected to be Mm -hmm. in a a collection of poems. Mm -hmm. That doesn't even cost two priority one messages. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I really like is sometimes you'll, you'll read a poem and the author of that poem like gets 
the cadence right. Like they get all the couplets working, but there's one that's like, that kind of forces you to make the case that it works. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The math of this poem works perfectly throughout. No strained rhymes at all. Yeah. It was just, it was selling to Sears. Yeah. Makes fun of us in a, in a fun way. Yeah. In a creative way. I like getting ribbed by Kate and Steve. Yeah, this is great stuff, Kate and Steve. Thanks. Our favorite fans ever. Yeah. You know? Want to print this out and uh, put it on my refrigerator. Yeah. Very fun. Pretty sweet. Thanks, you two. Ben, our second priority one message is from Helene. And the message is to Ben and Adam. Last time on Star Trek The Next Generation. There's coffee in that ankylosaur. Make Reese? The boy. Am I making any sense here? Total bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. This is fucking spectacular. I don't believe this. You're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them? Hence the word sabotage. And now the conclusion. That message basically picked up our drop toy box, flipped it upside down, uh-huh. and, and dumped it onto the show. Expend all remaining drops on our paws, Helene. <laughs> in a very specific order, but in, an, in a thoughtful order. I liked it. Like, there's a story here. I thought it was really fun. Yeah. Thank you for getting all those drops for us, Helene. I really enjoyed listening to all of those. Helene likes to get on an elevator and just hit every button for every floor. <laughs> I like all these floors. These yeah. floors are, are good. Good floors, Helene. There's good stuff on every floor. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, wow, well, if you'd like to uh, write us a very expensive poem or, you know, queue up some drops or wish somebody a happy birthday or, you know, advertise a, a band or a business, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set it up today. Today! Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Shimoda. Really wondering if this is your pick too, but I've got a time code Shimoda. Okay. Of a very fun thing happening in a background. Okay. Time code is 25 minutes, 40 seconds. This is the scene that involves the Bane walking around Ashmore and the Bane walks Ashmore to the turbo lift behind Harry Kim. <laughs> and he trips over his giant boots uh, getting into the turbo lift back there. Did you notice this? It's kind of in soft focus, but because the trip happens so close to where your eye is supposed to be to to look at Kim, yeah, I yeah. totally got it the first time. And then I backed it up and replayed it a bunch of times. And this guy's just got, his boots are too big. His boots are big beyond belief. <laughs> He's got great big boots, Ben. And yeah. uh, they're easy to trip on the carpet while you're wearing them. And uh, that's what makes this Bane my drunk Shimoda. What about you? I really like it. Um, I was going to just call the uh, the lady that spat at uh, at BLT my drunk Shimoda. But lady spitter. I think tripping Bane is funnier, honestly. <laughs> like a, a super soldier from the future with a giant gun that's walking a doomed Ashmore off yeah. to his certain death. He probably didn't kill Ashmore because he tripped. He was like so embarrassed. He's like, all right, just don't tell anybody that happened. Yeah. I mean, the one who died in that scene was the bane of embarrassment. Yeah. No kidding. Mm. Great stuff, Adam. Uh, Let me tell you about the next episode of this show. 
And uh, I'm also going to head to gach.biz slash game and figure out how we will be doing that episode. Of course, it's episode 19 of season four, The Killing Game, part two. The crew must find a way to defeat the Herogen and reclaim Voyager. Yeah. Kind of an obvious description of the next episode. Right where this episode should be. I mean, I guess uh, I guess not necessarily obvious in the uh, Deep Space Nine era when arcs could take more than two episodes to resolve. That's fair. Yeah. Our runabout is currently on square 38. Out in the distance, we do have the potential to hit a Brone Zone square. I take it you're in charge here. Team Leader Brone, 4th Boy Defense Contingent. I gotta get a pump. That's it, get it. I think that's the only modifier we are uh, at risk of hitting. That's our brand new square where we've got to do an episode review using a bunch of glorified Vori tellings. Truly. During the fullness of the episode. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone and see what, see what comes up, Adam. I did not get us there. I rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Got us to square 40. All right. So uh, next time we roll, we could potentially hit that or a Coco no-no. And, uh, you know, there is still that Coco no-no that you owe the folks, uh, just as a, as a reminder. I thought we were evened out. I thought I paid my debt. No, I think we did another Coco no-no, but it didn't count toward the previous one. Or I guess it could have, but then it wouldn't. You'd still owe one for that one. Just love lording this over me. <laughs> Adam doesn't drink enough. Adam steals pizzas and fails to do the board game accurately. <laughs> That's the sort of email I get at night. Uh huh. Uh huh. And you go to sleep and sleep like a baby. I do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about their judgments. Hmm. I'm probably going to have a baby by the time I QA this episode, and I'm going to laugh and laugh when I hear myself comparing you to sleeping like a baby as a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is a regular old episode for next week. I'm looking forward to it, Adam. So am I. That music you're hearing right now is by the great Dark Materia. Did you know that? It is. But the music you heard before that in the episode was all by Adam Ragusia. Our, uh, our buddy, The Goose, who is a great friend of the show and a great YouTube chef. He makes great cooking videos and podcasts about cooking and food that you can find over on YouTube or in your podcatcher. And we really recommend them because Goose is smart as hell and knows what he's talking about. And he throws in little uh, references to our podcast occasionally, which I think Friends of DeSoto will really appreciate. This is probably old news by now, but that... That slapping new theme song to Greatest Trek. Yeah. The Goose put together in like a week. Yeah. And like with multiple versions and stuff. It makes me so angry that he's that much more talented than us. God, he's just amazing. We, we're so fortunate to be friends with him. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, new stuff over on Greatest Trek, the art for our show was made by Nick Detmore, who also did the new Greatest Trek artwork. And uh, has been helping us a ton getting podshop.biz running and humming along in the way that I'm sure it is by the time this episode comes out. Go go hit up podshop.biz. Get yourself something. Is that the hum that I've been hearing late at night? <laughs> yeah, that sort of 
broken down pipe sound yeah. that you hear, that's podshop.biz. Yeah, when I put my hands around podshop.biz, a geyser shoots out of my front patio. <laughs> we got to thank Wendy Pretty, the producer of this program, without whom this all would be a shambolic mess that probably would have gotten too late and bad. Glory to Wendy's house. And glory to Bill Tilly's house, the great Bill Tilly, our card daddy and social media director, at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. Follow those accounts. Always fun stuff going on on there. Always a delight to see what the card daddy whips up every week when he makes baseball cards about the show. We got so many great social media groups out there, Adam. There's DrunkShimoda.com. There's the Wikia, the uh, Greatest Gen Wiki. There is uh, the Facebook group. There's the Reddit sub. People that use the hashtag Greatest Gen on Twitter. All out there. All of those places are like owned, operated, and moderated by real friends of DeSoto. Like the, those are those are places where friends of DeSoto gather and have a good time. We're not really much of a part of it at all. Yeah, you don't have to talk to us if you go over there. <laughs> don't let us be a deterrent. <laughs> don't worry about us being a distraction. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where uh, Ben and Adam are unaware of the fact that they are also in a simulation. Mm. I've always suspected. It's going to be a relief to finally have confirmation. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.